We started a new, uh, I, I've, I've declared a new holiday in our house. It's Thanksgiving and then to be followed with Pie, pie Friday. Um, you know, it hurts to get that second piece of pie down, but you really want it Thanksgiving. Pie Friday sets you free to be able to have pie the next morning for breakfast. I don't know about you, but... Yeah, okay, so I got a couple. I mean, you think about it, pumpkin pie has got pumpkin in it. That's a vegetable, right? And there's, there's dairy in there, and then you've got bread. And so that's three of the four. Wait, Karen's a nutritionist. Karen, I'm told that if we eat... If we eat sweets, we should eat them in the morning because then it burns off by the time we go to bed. What do you think? That she she she's thinking about it. Um, but oh, she's taking her head. No. But here's the other benefit of having pie in the morning is then you can have it again at night, and it's and that's really good for you, right? She's still shaking her head. No. Uh, but like you, for me, the day after Thanksgiving, it, it, Christmas season, it, it started. Whether it's Pie Friday or Black Friday. You know, we've got our tree up. That's what we do. Uh, the church throughout centuries, uh, before uh, I invented Pie Friday yesterday, um, <laughs> has celebrated Advent for four weeks prior to Christmas. And so here we are in the midst of the Advent season, the season of anticipating Christmas. Christmas is ridiculously popular throughout the world. I mean, obviously in America, it's huge. You go uh, to, to Mexico and Latin America, Christmas is huge there. Uh, they've got a neat tradition where the three kings uh, bring gifts to children, which is really a special idea. You go over to Europe, obviously, uh, a lot of countries that have a Christian tradition there. Christmas is huge. Uh, you, you even go to a place like Japan, where they have only 5% of the people there are Christians. And Christmas is starting to become a very, very popular holiday in Japan. Now, it's, it's a little different. Obviously, they don't take the day off of work. Uh, you still got to go to work on on Christmas. Uh, mail is still delivered, all those kinds of things still on Christmas. But people like Christmas over there. They they like this idea that, that Santa's there and they, they give gifts and they have the traditional Christmas meal. And for uh, the Japanese people that observe Christmas, the traditional Christmas meal, and I, I, I promise you I'm not making this up, is KFC. Um, <laughs> fried chicken, yeah. So that's that's American marketing at its best. You know, you need Christmas and a bucket of chicken to, to go with it. Um, there, there's something about Christmas, though. People like it. People really like Christmas. This idea that, you know, that there is this God who is a little far away, but all of a sudden he comes near, and, and in result, uh, uh, or in response to all the prayers that people have been praying, he comes, this is part of his plan, and we're not alone. You know, we're not alone. People like this idea. There's a lot of hope that, that runs around at Christmas time. Whether you're hoping for Santa Claus or, or Jesus or just some good KFC, I mean, there, it's a season of hopefulness, and it resonates with people. People like this idea that we're not alone, that, that we have hope. In Luke's account of the Christmas uh, story, he, he starts off the, the whole Christmas story in, in Luke chapter 1 there where he introduces us to some characters who have been waiting. They are like every other Israelite at this time. They've been waiting for Messiah to come. And so if you, if you hit the clock at the last inspired book of the Old Testament for, for Jewish and Christian believers alike, you then come to the birth of Jesus, and you've got a period of about 400 years 
where God has not given an inspired word that, that's recognized by either Jewish people or Christian people. And so there's been a 400-year period of silence. And, and during this time, the believers are waiting on God. They're, they're hopeful that Messiah is going to come and deliver them and set them free. And so you've got people that have been waiting. You, you wait for a long time, and, and you get some people like the Sadducees who've given up hope. And, and they said, you know what? I don't think Messiah is really going to come. Uh, you've got other people like the Pharisees who really were hopeful, and they believed that the Messiah was coming. And then you had everyday, ordinary kinds of people who, yeah, they were hopeful, but you know, the hope of like getting you know, through the day at work and taking care of the family probably overshadowed a lot of the thoughts of Messiah. And so it's sort of into this world that, that this angel comes, and, and we're introduced to these two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who they've been waiting and hoping, and not just for a child, a, a Messiah child, but for a child of their very own. Let's pick up the text here in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. You get a really sort of sad picture here. You've got people, this couple, who they've been married, they've been praying for years to have a baby, and then the years turned into decades, and then decade turned into decades, and decades came and went, and here they are with no child, praying, hopeful. And the text says that they live blamelessly, probably better than me or you. And even though they did everything right and said all the right prayers, God didn't give them what they asked for. And, and I think all of us have been there at some point in time where we've said, you know what, I, I hoped for this, I prayed for this, I lived this way. Maybe you've even said that to God or somebody else. Wait a second, God, I did everything right, I prayed really hard, I believed a whole lot, and you didn't answer my prayers. What's the deal? That's how life goes. You know, sometimes we pray and sometimes we do everything right and we get no answer from God. And maybe this morning we've got Zacharias and Elizabeth here, where you've prayed for something for years, and maybe even a decade, and maybe even decades, and those prayers are unanswered, and you've even done everything right. And here you are, you're wondering, what, what's going on? Maybe you prayed and received no answer, and so maybe it was a year or two ago, and you've just quit praying. Or you quit hoping. If so, I think you're a little bit like Zachariah. Zechariah, we don't know a whole lot about Zechariah other than what's here in the text. We know he's old. We know that he goes into the temple. He's picked by Lot to go and to light the incense. Now, this was the Jewish people, they did this twice a day, morning and evening. The Jewish people would gather at the temple, they would pray, and then the priest would go in, he would light incense on the incense altar, and that incense would go up to heaven, and it would be symbolic of all the prayers of the people going up to heaven and, and, and being received by God. And you think there's an incredible amount of irony in this, because Zechariah, this is probably his first and only time to do this, and he's prayed for years, and now decades, and he's not had an answer, and he's even stopped praying. And what's it like for Zechariah, who's maybe a little cynical, as he goes into light those incense, and he goes, you know, I, I don't know where this is going. I don't know what good this does. And he's there, and he's not hopeful. 
he's not feeling very prayerful. And the text tells us that an angel comes to him and says, Zechariah, guess what? Your prayers have been heard. And they've been answered. And Zechariah, the text doesn't say he's like, well, that's about time. Uh, He doesn't say, well, you know, I knew that would happen. He has this response. He says, you know, how can I be sure? Are you sure? You know, I've been praying about this for years. I've been praying about this for like a decade and more. And now have you seen my wife? I'm old, but she's no spring chicken either. She's old too. This, maybe you've got the wrong guy. There's another priest that's going to come on duty next week, and he's praying for a kid, and his wife's young, and he's young, and they can enjoy a child. Maybe that's who you're supposed to see. We don't know all the conversation that goes on, but we know Zachariah doesn't believe in. An angel from God shows up in the temple at the time of prayer, and Zachariah goes, no, I'm sorry, you've got the wrong guy. Maybe that's you, and you're going, you know what, yeah. I prayed, and I just, I don't know that God's listening. I don't know that he believes. You're filled with more doubt than anything else. Elizabeth is contrasted to this. You come to the end of the text. It says, after those days, verse 24, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. And this is what she says, verse 25, this is what the Lord has done for me. When he looked favorably upon me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. And you get the sense that when Elizabeth heard, she said, yeah. I knew this day would come. I knew this day would come. Elizabeth is full of hope. Zechariah has given up hope. And I suspect here this morning, we've got everybody ranging from Zechariah to Elizabeth here. Full of hope, and you've lost hope. I've got good news for both of you. Is this prayer is answered. You know, even when Zechariah quit praying, Elizabeth still prayed. She prayed often. And God heard that prayer. And Zechariah's doubt wasn't enough to defeat the faithfulness of God. God still works, and He still answers our prayers. But here's the thing, is that sometimes our prayers and our desires aren't quite right. Now, now I'm not saying they're wrong. Maybe some of you, you've prayed for a child, and it's not wrong for them to have prayed for a child. But, but when you take all into account that God knows... And into account all that we know, you see that sometimes God has got a little bit different plan in mind. And so when we pray, we need to surrender to God, knowing that He has our best interest in mind. I really desperately want you to get that, is that God has your best interest in mind. You know, often when we pray, we don't give God the benefit of the doubt. We think he's withholding or he's not listening. But, but here's the deal. God created you. We go through the book of Genesis. We know that God created us. It tells us that he didn't just create us, but he made us in his image. And he didn't make us because he needed us because he was lonely. He made us because he wanted us. And not only that, but then after we sinned, God had a plan. And he sends his son Jesus to, to die for us and to save us from our sins. And if God has not withheld his own son from us, what good things would he withhold from us? And the answer is nothing. And so you come to the New Testament and Paul, he tells us that the Holy Spirit partners with us in prayer to help us to pray. Because as the book of Hebrew tells us, that we're told to come and approach the throne of God with boldness. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, he said this, he said, the kingdom of God comes of itself without our prayer, but we pray in this petition, thy kingdom come, that it may also come to us. 
You see, God wants us to pray, and He wants to bless us in response to those prayers with good gifts. Jesus teaches this in Luke chapter 11. He'll say this a little bit later in the gospel. He'll say, is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You get this picture. This is one of those like really bizarre sayings of Jesus because it's like your child comes to you and like, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have a fish? And you're the kind of guy that carries a snake in your pocket just to be ornery. And you're like, no, I don't have a fish, but I got something else with scales. Here's a snake, kid. Have that. It's so ridiculous. It's so bizarre. Like It just would never happen. And Jesus says, if you wouldn't do that to your own kids and compare to God, you're evil. He said, why would God give you something evil? God wants to give you good gifts. He doesn't want to give you snakes. He doesn't want to give you scorpions. And yet you get the picture that sometimes we ask for snakes. And sometimes we ask for scorpions. Sometimes we ask for bad gifts. We do. We've got a lot of kids in here this morning. Do we have any kids with Christmas like wish lists, things you're hoping for? Yeah, some, sir, put your hand down. Um, this is for the kids. I, the, the cordless mic isn't working. Knox, I'm, I, I want to know, what is it that you want for Christmas? Can you tell me? You want a dancing Snoopy? That's, I'm hoping for that too. Emily, yeah, what do you got? A Zoomer kitty. Excellent. Yes, Robert. An Xbox One. Yes. Santa's going to have to save up for that. Um, maybe not this year, but if you're real good. Any, any others? We'll take maybe one more. What's, what's up, Sean? Sean's in my Sparks group. A web shooter? Totally. Totally want a web shooter. Kids, let, let me show you some, some gifts that maybe, maybe are on your Christmas list. These are, these are Christmas gifts from the past. Anybody want the big sneeze game? Okay, now, now seriously, everything I'm about to show you is an honest-to-goodness product. It has been sold in America, but believe it or not, they don't make the big sneeze game anymore. I know. Uh, anybody want to confess to having owned one of these or wanted one? Okay, all right. No, nobody was honest in first service either. Okay, so here's how the big sneeze game goes. You've got uh, like four spots, and you build a house of cards, and then if the time comes and you draw the sneeze card, you've got to hit the sneeze button, and the thing in the middle sneezes and knocks over your cards. I mean, what kid wouldn't want this? I mean, the big sneeze game. Could we have that? We've, we, we've got a, another one here. How about the toy medicine chest? You know, it's... How fun is that, Mom and Dad? Keep pills in the, the medicine chest. I want to keep some pills in the medicine chest and have a rusted razor. And Wouldn't that be really great? Mom, for Christmas, I want a toy medicine chest. Any, does this make anybody's list this year? No. All right. How about, let's try, let's try again. Gee whiz, it works. This, why this is not being produced anymore, I don't understand. This is a real, honest-to-goodness, wind-up toy floor buffer. Okay, it really works. Like, it's a miniature floor buffer that if you wind it up, the brushes thing spin, and you could buff your floor with this thing. What kid doesn't want a floor buffer for Christmas? Mom, can I please? How about this? Who cares about elderly people? 
true. They really, they really made this. Now, this is actually from a whole Who Cares series. It's like, who cares for elderly people? And there's one like, who cares for the disabled? And it's, the idea is to like, we should care for them. But the title really is horrible, isn't it? <laughs> who cares about elderly people? All right, I, I believe we've got a few more here. How about this luscious limbs? Jello is fun. Now, now wait, Jello is fun, but wouldn't Jello be more fun if it was in the shape of a nose, an ear, a foot, or a hand? These are the. This is a kids Jello mold set because Jello is so much better when it's in the shape of a nose, isn't it? Yeah. All right, we've got. Uh, we, I think we've got one more. Fist faces. It's a dress-up kit for your hand. Like, it's got a wig and eyes and a mouth, and you could have hours of fun with your buddy, the fist face. All right, last one right here. Here we go. Swack the game. There is nothing more fun, trust me, than putting a bunch of cheese on the end of a mousetrap and trying to pick it and see who trips it the first. Everybody's a winner until it goes swack. Game's over. They don't make these anymore, friends. They don't make any of these games anymore. And the problem with all of these games is that you know when they were put out, the, the marketing geniuses on Matt... Hey, although, wait a second. Who, who brought into the board meeting, hey, you know what? This year's bestseller is going to be from us. It's going to be a wind-up floor buffer. And there was a, an entire boardroom of men that got together and said, yeah... Kids are going to totally want a floor buffer this Christmas. But you know, you market it enough, you tell people what you really want is a floor buffer for Christmas, and guess what? People believe it, and they ask for it. And now I tell you, all of these things are either in the jump, in the trash, or they are in a museum of, of weird collectible toys. That's it. Nobody really wants them. They are terrible gifts. And yet, how many Christmas lists did they make? A lot. Why? Because we don't know what to ask for so often. We ask for terrible things. And they seem to be good things, but they're bad things. Tim Keller, for a long time, prayed about a relationship that he had in his 20s. He said this, he said, I prayed for an entire year about a girl I was dating and wanted to marry, but she wanted out of the relationship. All year I prayed, Lord, don't let her break up with me. Uh, Of course, in hindsight, it was the wrong girl. I actually did what I could to help God with the prayer. Because one summer near the end of the relationship, I got in a location that made it easier to see her. Her front yard in a Buick, you know, with tinted windows. Uh, He said, I was saying... Lord, I'm making this as easy as possible for you. I've asked you for this. And I even have taken the geographical distance away. But as I look back, God was saying, Son, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything I know. Let me read that one more time. Son, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything I know. Thomas Merton, in his book, Thoughts on Solitude, writes this. He says, What is the use of praying if at the very moment of prayer we have so little confidence in God, we are busy planning our own kind of answer to our prayer? Friends, it's true. Often we pray, but we're planning, and we're planning to answer prayers that God is saying, No, I don't really think that's the best right now. 
and yet we plan to, to take care of our own needs because we have so little faith that God can do His. And here's the thing, whether you're Zachariah, Elizabeth, or somewhere in between, we need to remember this, that God does in fact hear our prayers, that He wants to bless us in response to our prayers, but that He has a better view than we do. This is why when we pray, we need to have this faith. We need to have faith that God hears our prayers and perfects them in His plan. We need to wait here at this intersection of surrender to God's will and faith for the future. You know, just like Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah and Elizabeth had prayed for just a child. Do you know how many people prayed for a child at this point in time? Do you know how many children were born at this point in time? And do you know how many of them we know their names? Just a few. And John the Baptist is one. Their son John ends up being one of these people that, that, that did something amazing and radical and changed the world. God hears our prayers, and God heard their prayers, and He perfected their prayers in His plan. Jesus tells us about John the Baptist. He says, of those people who've been born by women, and that's all of us, He says, there's no one who's been born greater than John the Baptist. What an incredible child. They wanted a child, and God said, no, I've got a special child for you, but it's got to come in my time. It's got to come in my way. It's got to come in this particular moment. And we're still talking about John the Baptist today because he was a prophesied part of God's salvation plan. You go back to the book of Isaiah, and there's a prophecy about John that says there's going to be one who's going to be speaking a voice in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And that's John. He comes, he comes as the last of the Old Testament prophets because God heard their prayer and he perfected it in his plan. Maybe not as they had expected, but just as they needed. And friends, that's true for us today. Now, I know a lot of times we, we forget to pray or we fail to pray or we don't pray because we, we fail to see that God takes our prayers and he perfects them, but he does answer them. He, he does work in response to them. A guy by the name of Fred Penny talks about his lesson he learned in, in prayer. He said he grew up in uh, Canada in the early 70s. And in 1972, uh, their seventh grade French class was going to take a special weekend trip to uh, a group of small um, French islands off of their coast. And, and the whole trip for the weekend was going to cost each student $50. And he knew that his parents didn't have a lot of money, and, and that seemed like a lot of money to him at that point in time. And so he decided that he wasn't going to ask his parents. He just said, you know, I don't want them to feel awkward and say, no, I'm just not going to ask. And so he didn't. A couple of years later, his sister, who's 14, is in another class. And this time they're not taking a $50 trip to some islands off their coast, but a $1,000 14-day Mediterranean cruise. He said, and so then I was blown away when she blurted out, Mom, can I go? He said, and then to my surprise, Mom and Dad declared, they said, well, we don't know where the money's going to come from, but we'll find it. Of course you can go. And Fred said, at that moment, they taught me something about prayer. I sometimes assume God's resources are too limited. I sometimes assume God's not listening. I sometimes assume God isn't going to act. And so I don't pray. Friends, as we come into this Christmas season, let us be committed to prayer. Let us be inspired by the lives of Zachariah and Elizabeth who prayed and who God answered those prayers. Not in the way they'd expected, but in the way that they needed. Because God hears our prayers 
and He perfects them according to His plan. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank You for Your Word that is a continual reminder to us of the life that You call us to, this, this adventure-filled life called faith. Lord, we don't know how You answer prayers. We don't know what Your grand plan is. We know that sometimes we pray and it feels like You don't listen. But God, thank You for this reminder that You do listen. You do respond. And Lord, that You take our prayers and You perfect them. And God, I know there's people here who've prayed for things and the answer's been no or it's they're still waiting. God, I, I pray that You'd grow their faith, that You would increase in them an understanding of Your goodness. And Lord, maybe we won't even understand fully how You answer some of our prayers until we reach and see You face to face. But God, I pray that You'd give us the strength to continue to remain as people of faith, committed to prayer, because You do hear our prayers. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.